0: Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages. If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. Yeah, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to be going from verse 1 down to 6. We're going to be looking a little bit at uh, a situation that John the Baptist uh, found himself in. Okay, so if you're with me, is everybody there? Yeah? Yeah. Excellent. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, as in John the Baptist, who, uh, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Just wait there for a minute. So I want to tell you the title of my message this morning. The message is, Are You Sure? So if you've got notes, you can write that down. Have you written that down? Are you sure? <laughs> if you like that. <laughs> It's not going to get much better than that, I assure you, by the way. Uh, So, verse 4. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then verse 6, he says something that sounds quite bizarre. Keep this one in your head, because this is going to come out a little bit later on. It says this. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to come to that again in a little while. So, before I get started, I want to tell you, kinda, uh, I want to make a, a statement that kind of underpins the whole message this morning. And that statement is this. Your present situation, so what you're going through right now, your present situation has the ability to make you doubt the revelation that you were once so sure about. Does that sound like a mouthful? I'll say it again. Your present situation has the ability to make you doubt the revelation that you were once so sure about. So let's put ourselves in John's shoes a little bit this morning. It's always good when we read the Bible to try and, you know, imagine yourself in the context, isn't it? Because it helps us to pick out truth a little bit better than when we're just scanning over it and just reading it at face value. So the situation that John, John finds himself in here in Matthew 11 is, um, is a bit bleak, let's be honest. It's a bit bleak. He finds himself banged up in prison. And I'm not talking like your know, nice British jail and stuff like that where you get privileges and that kind of stuff. He's in what's most likely Herod's dungeon. Herod, who was the king at the time, is, is probably in his own personal dungeon where he keeps prisoners that have upset him. Herod's got a a hatred of John because John challenges Herod's lifestyle. You know, you can read this for yourself in the Gospels. It says that Herod was having an inappropriate relationship with his brother's wife. Now, John, because he was a man of of God, he was a man of righteousness, he stood up for what he believed was right, he challenged him. You know, that's not always an easy thing to do, especially when it's somebody that's in power, when it's somebody that's, you know, uh, kind of up on a pedestal and has a lot of authority. It's very hard to be able to challenge someone like that. John didn't back down. John challenged Herod and he finds himself for standing up for what is right in the midst of probably the most difficult time in his life. So John's made a powerful enemy here. John now finds himself in a position that he's never found himself in before. You know, you read about the life of John the Baptist, there's not actually that much you know, in the Gospels concerning, uh, concerning John. There's, you know, there's a fair bit, there's enough for us to, to make some conclusions about his life. But one thing that you can say is that the hallmark of his life was this assuredness and his trust in God. That's fair to say, isn't it? But John finds himself now in a position that he's never found himself in before. John's now doubting whether Jesus really is the Messiah or if he isn't. Listen to verse 3 it says are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else what john's ultimately saying here is you know hold on a second from my perspective i thought when the messiah comes everything was supposed to get better not get worse it looks as though things were getting worse for john didn't it so let's before we before we camp out there let's just go back a few chapters Matthew chapter 3, I want to draw your attention to this. This is a pretty incredible scene. Matthew three thirteen to 17. Many of you will have read this. You know, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll have read this numerous times. This is the account of Jesus' baptism. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. Why do you come to me? And Jesus replied, look, let it be so, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. And so John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, whatever that looks like. Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. This is pretty phenomenal stuff, isn't it? Has anybody ever witnessed that? If you put your hand up, you're probably a liar okay the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven said this this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased so you know when I read that I just think wow like you I've read that so many times but just this week as for you know studying uh, the, the life of John, I was just re-going over it, and I just thought, what a, what a scene that is. You know, I've had some encounters with God in my life, but I can say that I've never actually heard, you know, an audible voice from heaven, you know, come out and say, this is Jesus, he's my son, and with him I'm well pleased. The reason I know that is because it's re- recorded in the Bible, of course. But I've never had an experience like that, yet John did. Jesus goes to him and says, baptise me. He's baptised, and the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. This is an, like, an incredible moment, and if that's not enough, he hears an actual voice saying, "This is the Messiah." This is essentially what God's saying: "This is the one that was been, that's been promised centuries beforehand." Like, what more confirmation do you need than that? Like, if you're if you're having you know if you're having any kind of doubts or anything like that, and you're thinking, you know what, this Jesus person seems pretty incredible, but I'm just not sure about it. If you heard a voice from heaven, you saw heaven opened up, and an actual voice say, "This this is God, this is my son, with him I'm well pleased. That's pretty much all the confirmation that you need, isn't it? So this is an incredible moment in John's life, it's a revelation that hardly anybody else experienced. But hold on, let's, let's just fast forward back a minute. Let's just go back to where we're at. Matthew chapter 11, what's happening there? So he's, just, he's had this amazing encounter. Fast forward, chapter 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? There's no way around it. John's having second thoughts, isn't he? He's had the most incredible encounter in his life, yet he's having second thoughts. The power of your situation is more than you imagine. What are going through? The difficulties of your life, the, the things when, it, when, when the hardships come, when there's trials, when there's suffering, when there's pain. All of a sudden, the thing that you were so, so, so sure about, this assuredness that you had about God, it can all, all of a sudden turn to doubting, can't it? John finds himself in this position let's just stop there and address something, this, I just want to stop there and address something this morning with us. You will have doubts, okay? So I want us to just kind of let that, you know, like, that religious persona just leave us just for a moment this morning that says we've got it all together. Let's just be honest with one another, right? We all have doubts. You will have doubts from time to time. Like this is John the Baptist for goodness sake, this is a man who lived out in the desert you know, in the sticks where nobody was who, you know, wore camel hair and ate locusts. You know, I'm, I've got to be honest, I'm pretty happy living in a nice three bedroom semi in a quiet cul-de-sac. Yeah, I would have to be pretty sure about what I'm called to, to go and live out in the desert and eat locusts. Alright? Yet this man did. He must've, it must've, his life must have seemed like one long Bear Grylls episode or something. <laughs> this is a man that was prophesied literally hundreds of years before. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God that's that's approximately some 700 years before John was even born he was speaking about his life and what God would call him to and this great man this amazing man of God is having doubts over something that he was once so sure about so i say it again you will have doubts but it's not the doubts that are the issue, okay? it's not the doubts that are the issue, it's when we allow our doubts to start shaping and moulding what we believe, that they start to have power over us. Okay, We all have doubts, but eventually they can turn into these nasty things that start actually shaping and moulding what we believe and that actually starts to affect our lives. You know, I'll just share this with you. This is, uh, you know, this is still quite raw because this was quite recent. But I just felt like it—it it was an appropriate example this morning. Uh, you know, a cousin of mine, um, bless her, she uh, she passed away just recently. She had a, a quite a difficult battle with cancer for a couple of years, and um, you know, it actually turned out that it was re- it was really tough towards the end. She had a really quite a, quite a tough battle, and. Uh, you know what, me and some of the other believers in our family, some of the other Christians, we were really, really praying for her. We were really, really, really praying for her. We were standing in faith together. We were believing God for a breakthrough. We thought there was going to be a miracle takes place in our life. You know, and uh, you know, every day when I'm, I'm praying and getting stirred up, I'm thinking, you know, she's going to get saved. She's going to believe. She's going to be healed. This, you know, this is going to, she's just going to become an absolutely amazing woman of God. And so we had faith that this was going to happen. You know, she was the most, you know, she was a, a really lovely girl, really good sense of humour, warm heart, so nice to be around, and unfortunately she passed away. And uh, I've got to be honest, you know, I, I don't mind being vulnerable with you this morning, it was like a punch in the gut. It was like a punch in the gut because we'd really, really, same as I said, and I know my mum and dad are uh, in here today and they, they were in exactly the same situation. It was, it was, it was like a punch in the gut. Because we really, really believed that this, this situation was going to turn around. But, she, but it didn't happen that way. She passed away. And um, in that moment, what I'm trying to say is that we we're presented with a choice. We we're presented with a choice. Do I let the situation dictate what I believe, or do I let God's word dictate what we believe? I'll be honest I had all kinds of things flying around my mind just the same as you do just the same as obviously John the Baptist did and the situation was very difficult I've got to be honest it was very hard to take but I had to keep telling myself God's still good God's still good He'll only ever be good because it's impossible for Him to be any other way and even though we don't understand now I I had to lean into the fact you know the Bible says this it says for now we know in part we're unsatisfied with that, aren't we? A lot of the time we think we should know everything right now. But that's just not true. The Bible never gives you any of those guarantees. It says, for now you know in part. And part of belief is trusting that God is who He says He is. And when He says He's good, even though the situations in your life might seem like they're not very good, God's still good. Your beliefs can, uh, cannot just keep changing and altering in every scenario that plays, in your li- uh, plays out in your life. Otherwise, you'll always and only ever be unstable. You'll always be like this. You'll be up here one minute, you'll be down there the next. I don't believe that that's God's desire for anybody. I believe that God wants people to be Christians that aren't, you know, that don't just live up here in some kind of fairyland, but don't want somebody who's depressed constantly as well. They want somebody who's got so sure about the call of God in their life and so sure about God's love for them that they're on this even keel. That even when the tough times happen, they don't plummet and when the great times happen they don't become so like consumed with it all that it goes to our heads I believe God just wants us to be steady firm believers God gave us his word so that we'd know the truth God gave us his word so that you and I would know his character to know that he's a loving father that even though whatever's going on in your life God's still a loving father he's still on your side he's still got the best plan for your life even though In the present circumstance, it may seem otherwise. John had the most amazing revelation. One that, you know, you and I, uh, you know, I would love to have a a moment like that, wouldn't you? You know, where you're just walking down the street and there's a cloud parting moment and God speaks to you. You know, in 25 years, I've never had a moment like that. I know there's people older than me in in this place that have never had a moment like that as well. So, you know, I'm a bit jealous of John. I don't mind saying that. I would love love a moment like that. But the heat of the circumstance that John found himself in, the darkness of the situation, you know, he, he wasn't naive. I'm sure he, he understood he was probably facing death. It's not just prison. Herod wasn't a very merciful, merciful man. It looked bleak for it. He knew this could be the end. And in the heat of the circumstance, it clearly got the better of him. And so I'm just going to return to that original statement that I said right at the beginning. That your present situation has the ability to make you doubt The revelation that you were once so sure about. John's already had the revelation of Jesus' true identity. He knows he's the promised Messiah. He's heard God's actual voice confirming it. But now in prison, he's undoubtedly discouraged. And he's got doubts flying around his mind. You know, moments of discouragement can lead to doubt, can't they? Who's had moments of discouragement? Yeah everybody they can lead to doubt and it seems like even the greatest moments of revelation can still be diminished by the severity of the troubles that we face in our lives you know i just wanted to reel off a couple of other examples as well to not so that you don't start thinking this is just an isolated incident it's it's littered all over scripture just think of elijah in the old testament elijah had the most amazing encounter with god didn't he on, on mount carmel i'm sure some of you have read this there's a showdown with the prophets of Baal it's a real dramatic scene and god showed him it showed his might and his power like literally fire came down from heaven and consumed a sacrifice in front of everybody god showed up he had the most amazing encounter with him but because Jezebel threatened him and pursued him in an attempt to kill him elijah got so depressed and so scared that he forgot about the amazing encounter that he just had and it says, some of the saddest words I think in the whole, whole of the Old Testament where it says that he actually asked God to take his life. He got so depressed and so scared, forgot about the amazingness of God that had just happened because the present situation looked bleak and he actually asked God to take his life. Think of King David being pursued relentlessly by Saul and frustrated by continual obstacles to God's promises. He came very close to committing this like really atrocious act that would have stained his name and caused him to lose credibility with all of God's people that he would eventually lead and thankfully God intervened in his life through this wise lady Abigail who managed to defuse the whole situation and calm David down you know every believer has to come to the point in our lives where we trust God where we trust in God's power rather than our own you know, if you, if you boil doubt down to its, you know, it, to its essence, what it is, is it's, a, it's a, a lack of trust in God. It's essentially trusting ourselves and our own opinion rather than God. That's what doubt is, isn't it? That's what anxiety is. It's almost putting yourself in God's shoes and saying, I can predict the future, I know what's going to happen here. But you don't know what the future is, do you? You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, for goodness sake. So I just want us to turn our, uh, our attention... Um, to those words that I said, can you remember I said, remember verse 6 where it says, uh, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I find this, I've head scratched over this statement like all week. I think this is a bit of a, it's one of those bizarre statements that Jesus makes. Because I think when I read that, I think, wait a minute, you know, what's Jesus actually saying here? He's actually saying it's possible for us to stumble, for us to lose faith on his account. One translation says it this way. Um, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's, it's, possible, it's possible to be offended by God. Is that a surprise to anyone? It's, it's possible to be offended by God. If you go around offended all your life, I want you to know, God's one, God's one of the people that can offend you, right? I thought this was the Messiah. How can we stumble on account of him? How can we be offended by him? Well, it's actually extremely easy, isn't it? You see, we all have expectations of God, don't we? We all have expectations of who He is. We all have expectations of what He should do for us. And we all have expectations of how things should happen, when they should happen. But God just simply won't be mastered by our expectations, will He? I don't know if if you've ever lived your life that way. I know I have at times where I I have certain expectations of God. (laughs) And I can tell you, it seems to never usually work out. My expectations would limit him, and he won't be limited by anyone's expectations. John was in the same position. John had certain expectations of the Messiah. Verse two says, "Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples." So he hears the things that Jesus is doing. He hears some of the things that Jesus isn't doing, and he's you know he's a he's a Jewish man. At that time in history, he would have had the same expectations as the, as the rest of the Jewish people. Don't forget that they've been hearing from their ancestors for centuries and centuries and centuries what the, what the Christ would come and do, what the Messiah would come and do. They've read the Old Testament, they've read it all numerous times. And he had expectations of Jesus. And so when Jesus showed up doing the things that he did, John was confused by his ministry. And can I just say, we're no different today. We all have ex- certain expectations of how we think, you know, of how we think God works or how he should work in our lives. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident to say that anybody that's been walking this journey of discipleship for any amount of time quickly comes to the conclusion that God doesn't work within our parameters, does he? It doesn't work within our expectations, Absolutely. as though we're in some kind of control. In fact, you won't find it even anywhere in the whole Bible, even implies that God will work within your expectations. Jesus' ministry, I'll be honest, I feel a little bit for John in this, in this story. I feel a little bit for him, because at this point, Jesus' ministry hadn't fulfilled any of John's prophecies about the Messiah. John had preached that the coming one would baptise uh, in the Spirit and in fire. And casting the wicked into a furnace, he was, you know, kind of expecting this kind of warrior king to turn up and it'd be like this big dramatic scene. Let me just ask you a question this morning. What do you do when you have questions and doubts? Just think about that. What do you do when you have questions and doubts? Where's the first place that you go to? In your mind, I mean. Is it into a cynical attitude? I should have known nothing ever good happens for me. Or do you go into a place of trust where God can comfort you and where he can build you up? Look, here's the deal, right, church, that if, if me and you are going to grow as, as mature believers, if we're going to mature and grow in our faith, then we have to understand and not expect God to meet our expectations. Otherwise, he's, you know, otherwise God's just like a puppet. And where the puppet master pull in all the strings? God's never, thats not the way it works, is it? After being so sure for so long, John's circumstance has his mind racing into places that are clearly causing doubt around who Jesus is. What John's ultimately saying is, yeah, "I may have been wrong about this man." Bearing in mind, he's already spent a big portion of his life preaching about this man and expecting him. Just put yourself in his shoes just for a second. John had an encounter that not many other people did. Apart from, you know, Peter, John and James on the mountain, you know, the transfiguration. Who else actually heard the audible voice of God saying, this is the Messiah? John actually heard that. But now in Herod's dark dungeon, probably knowing that he's going to be killed, the intensity of the situation has sapped all of that assuredness that was a hallmark of John's life up to this point. Like no one was more sure than John, was he? He'd been preparing the way for Jesus for years, getting people's hearts ready, preaching repentance and baptism to them. But apparently even John, the great John the Baptist, had some expectations that he wanted Jesus to live up to. And Jesus came looking and acting the way that none of them expected. You see... Everybody had in their mind this picture of a, of a great like, warrior king, a vast army rising up to conquer the Romans, to come and put all the oppressors to the sword. They had in their mind like a, a political victory, a military victory. And Jesus would come and revolutionise, that's true, but the revolution wouldn't be the political climate, it wouldn't be you know, fighting against the Romans, it wouldn't be wading in there with a vast army. What Jesus would do is he'd start a revolution in people's hearts and minds. He would come and he would repair the real problem that is the root of all the problems that's been there from the start, that issue of sin and separation from God. Nobody expected it. Reading the Old Testament for years and years and years, I'm sure that John thought, you know, when the Messiah turns up, it's all going to be okay again. The Romans are going to go away. They're not going to be in our land anymore. And uh, we're all going to live in peace and harmony again. When it didn't happen, my gosh... He's in a dark place, isn't he? Can I just say to us this morning, and I want to say this gently, uh, but Jesus might not be what you expected. Is that all right to say that? Jesus might not be what you expected. Maybe you were expecting like this kind of you know, divine handyman kind of character that comes along and fixes all your problems, gives you a pat on the back and says, away you go. That's not the way that God works. Jesus isn't... The thing is, Jesus isn't so much interested... I want, to say this, I want to say this well so that nobody gets the wrong end of the stick. Jesus isn't so much interested in all the issues and the problems that are going on in your life. His main interest is the root of the problem, which is you. That's a tough thing to say, isn't it? But until we come to the point where we realise that I am the problem... We can never move forward with God. You know, that's what repentance is, isn't it? That's what repentance is when we come to the point where we realise I'm the problem. Because you can say sorry for numerous things, but still be thinking, oh, it's everybody else's issue. True repentance is where you realise I'm the issue. He doesn't want to just sort out all the issues of your life and make them all go away so that you feel better. Because do you know what we do? All we do is find more issues, isn't it? If he he just fixed us up, sent us on our way, made everything go away, we'd just find more issues to get hung up about. He wants to sort you so that you can have joy, so that you can have peace in every situation that you face, regardless of whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether it's a good week or a bad week, whether it's a good decade, for goodness sake, or whether it's a bad decade. I genuinely 100% believe that when God gets into our hearts, when he revolutionises our character, when we become a new creation... It doesn't matter whether it's a bad day or a good day. It doesn't matter whether the situation looks bad or whether it looks good. You can still have joy and you can still have peace. So, um, let's turn to something good. Jesus encourages us in our brokenness. This isn't all doom and gloom. He encourages us in our brokenness. The story, uh, uh, this account that we see of John isn't just all, you know, an account of a man that's doubting. It's actually a picture of what Jesus does for us in our moments of doubt. If you've spent any time reading the Gospels, you know, which are an account of Jesus' life and his ministry, one thing that you'll quickly come to understand is that he didn't actually pull many punches, did he? It was a a bit, it was quite controversial. You know, you might read the Gospels through rose-coloured glasses and, you know, buy into this picture that we've painted of Jesus of this, you know, nice man who just was a bit wishy-washy but it really wasn't like that at all you know, in fact, I actually think that, you know in the, in the climate of the 21st century in this very PC world that we live in we'd be very uncomfortable in his presence I genuinely think if God was here amongst us like here now chatting and having a talk with us most of us would be quite uncomfortable because it's just so counter-cultural to what we to what we're used to living in but at the same time, he was very gracious and gentle. He never pulled back from the truth. He never compromised from the truth, but he was very gracious and gentle as well. He let people, you know, he let people have it with both barrels, so to speak, sometimes. I think this is what, John, what John's speaking about in uh, one, uh, sorry, John 1.17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, though, came through Jesus Christ he held the two in complete balance he was very gracious he was, he was kind to people he you know, made a way into people's lives he gave people a chance where nobody else had given them a chance before but at the same time, it's almost like he got in there with grace and then he punched them with truth <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's, that's the way I see it it didn't always show the truth in the most comfortable way sometimes it warranted a bit of tough love, didn't it? but interesting to note in this account with John the Baptist, is he's actually been very gentle with him. You know, if you read this, uh, if you read this, not knowing what's coming up next, you kind of expect a rebuke from Jesus, don't you? You expect him to say, you know, you should have more faith. You know, I know it's, I know it's looking bad. I know this situation looks bleak, but you should be a man of faith. Come on, you're John the Baptist, for goodness sake, pull yourself together. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't go there. It's, it's strange. It's, it's. It's bizarre. Why doesn't he tell him to have greater faith? And what this does is it shows us the wonderful affirming nature of God. It shows the Father's heart that he encourages in our brokenness. You know, I just want to take a moment just to encourage you this morning. I'm uh, I'm going to come to a close literally in just a minute. But if you're discouraged right now, I want you you to know this. The truth is that we should never be mastered by God. God will never be mastered by our expectations. If you've got expectations of them, then I want to gently and kindly say to you, sometimes you've got to lay those down. If, you've got, if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus, sometimes you've just got to lay those expectations down. But at the same time, in your discouragement this morning, I want you to know that God comfort, com, comforts us in our brokenness. What Jesus does is, is, is quite, it's quite interesting. Instead of rebuking him, he pays him the biggest compliment that anybody's ever been paid. Listen to verses 7 to 9. It says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, I'm more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Listen to this, what he says in verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen um, uh, anyone greater than John the Baptist. What a compliment to be paid. I don't mind saying it. It would be nice if Jesus had said that about me, but he didn't say that about me. He said it about John the Baptist, didn't he? He says, out of all the people that's ever lived... John the Baptist is the greatest. It makes you think to yourself, you know, what about the Moseses? What about the Josephs? What about the, you know, the, uh, the Noahs and the, these amazing heroes of the faith? It says, you know, John the Baptist is the greatest of them all. John's having this moment where he sends his, his followers out to Jesus to say, look, are you really the real deal? Jesus could have got all offended about it and felt like it was a bit of a slap in the face, like, you know, this man that's, you know, been preaching about how fantastic I am, all of a sudden now, he's you know, he's doubting. But Jesus wasn't offended at all. What he chose to do was encourage him in his moment of brokenness. He said, And he pays him the most amazing compliment. This moment in John's life teaches us how hard it can be sometimes, can't it, to live a life of faith in the midst of all the tests and all the difficult situations that life throws at us, but it also demonstrates how Jesus lovingly strengthens those who belong to him so that they can live the life of faith and assurance that God has called us to, without being blown and tossed around by life's ever-changing circumstances. That's the the desire for us this morning, J28, I, I, I firmly believe it. God's desire for us is that we would have assurance, that we'd have peace, that we'd know his love, even in the midst of what you're going through right now. I want you to be encouraged by John's story. Most of us, like, I'm not downplaying what anybody's going through or anything, but most of us aren't, you know, in prison, facing death. Or if there is anybody in that situation, come and see us afterwards when, you know, we'd like to pray with you. Um, That was a joke, by the way, you can laugh at that. So the situation might be bleak, but I want you to know, let's not let doubt start shaping what we believe. God is a good God. God is a good God and He remains faithful. You need to know this morning that God is for you, that He affirms you, that He calls you His own. And even though that there's doubts and there's struggles that may try and knock your faith, be assured that God's arms are always open to you they're always open to you, whatever it is over this last year or something like that the things that you've been holding on to, the things that may have happened this week that you're holding on to things that you're offended by, things that you're broken by, things that have hurt you all of these different things, I just want to encourage you this morning to be mature as believers let's just lay it down let's just lay it down this morning I don't want to be, I don't want to find myself in that position where I'm saying you know I had this assuredness that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is a good God, but now I'm actually not quite so sure about it. Tony, I'm going I'm to invite you up uh, uh, to, to close in a second and worship team, let's um, come up. But I, you know, I, f- I feel like we need, some of us need to respond to this this morning. I feel like we need to respond to this this morning. I'm going to let Tony do that as, it, as he feels appropriately, whether we, you know, people come out and we pray for them or whether you stay where you are and... Uh, you know, we pray or something like that. But I just believe that there's people in the room this morning that have had certain expectations of God that God hasn't met. And you may be still expecting Him to meet those expectations. But what God might be saying is, I want you to lay those things down so that I can actually bless your life. So that you can actually have a true encounter with me. So that you can actually have a real revelation of who I am. That I'm the one that holds your life. That I'm the one that says in Jeremiah uh, 29, my plan is to prosper you and not to harm you.